You're listening to a presentation of The Rising. We're a real church for real people where you can belong before you believe. We're always honored to hear how God is working in your life through this ministry. If you have a story you'd like to share with us, hit us up at wearetherising.com or on Facebook or Instagram. Finally, if you'd like to invest in what God's doing through this church, you can always give online through our site. Thanks again for tuning in and get ready. Lean forward with an expectant attitude to hear a message from God's Word. I don't know about you, but I love Christmas. I love it. I love everything that comes with Christmas. I love the Christmas parties, fun stuff. Actually, we just had our our staff Christmas party this past Friday, and uh, it was a fun time. And by by the way, you got a great staff in this church. it's a group of men and women who give of themselves, pour themselves out to equip and train you. And uh, I'm, just, I'm just so proud of our staff. And so we had our, our staff Christmas party this past Friday. I love, I love the parties that come with Christmas. I love uh, the lights, the deals, the decorations, the ugly sweaters, uh, the trees, time with family. I mean, I, I love all of it. But, but what I find is that oftentimes uh, Christmas is crammed with so much, right? And, and we feel so busy, and, and Christmas can be chaotic, and, and because of that, uh, we can get so caught up in Christmas that we forget Jesus, and we can have this kind of home alone moment where it's like, wait, are we missing something? And maybe you remember this scene from one of the home alone movies. Check this out. Who's this? Megan? Give this to Brooke. Kevin? Give this to Kevin. Give this to Have you ever had this moment where you're thinking about Christmas and you're like, okay, Christmas lights, check. Christmas tree, check. Presents, check. Parties, check. Jesus? Jesus? Jesus! And it's like, where is Jesus in the season? And because of that, we're in this series called Finding Jesus. And, and throughout this series, we're looking at the birth of Jesus in three phases. Last week, we talked about the announcement of Jesus' birth. Today, I want to focus on the journey that Mary and Joseph took in order uh, to bring Jesus into this world. And then uh, in a couple days on Christmas Eve, I'm going to preach about the arrival of Jesus. And uh, on Christmas Eve, when you arrive, my hope is that you arrive with some people in tow, that you bring some people with you. Because here's what I'm going to promise you for Christmas Eve. On Christmas Eve, I'm going to preach the gospel in a clear way. And I'm going to give the people that you love, your friends, your family, the people you work with, an opportunity to say yes to Jesus. And so you don't want to miss that moment by not bringing them here. So when you arrive, you bring some people to arrive with you. You with me? Christmas Eve, five and seven. You make sure you're here, but you make sure some other people are here too. But first, before we get to the arrival on Christmas Eve, I need to preach about the journey, the journey that Mary and Joseph 
went on. Uh, I don't know how many of you love traveling, but um, stats tell us that a third of the country travels for the holidays. That's 110 million people traveling for the holidays. And um, I both love and hate traveling. Uh, I, I love it when I have margin. I love it when uh, I'm not rushed. I love it when I have plenty of time. I love it when uh, it's not crowded. I love it when I have a Starbucks drink in my hand. And I love it when my wife is with me. That's the time I love traveling. But I hate traveling when I have no margin. When, when it's crowded, it's busy, there's a ton of people. I have no Starbucks drink and my wife is not with me. And I've had some, some terrible traveling experiences. You've had some ter terrible traveling experiences as well. Um, but, but there was a time a couple years ago uh, where my wife and I were going on vacation with a couple other couples to Cancun, and uh, we had booked our flight through this airline. I won't tell you what it is because uh, I, I will say this. I am proud to be an American Airlines. And, um, <laughs> but we booked our flight through, the, through American Airlines, and um, about a week before we were set to take off, it, it made the news that American Airlines had a computer glitch. And it messed up some of their scheduling, and because of that, they had to cancel some flights. And we just thought, well, it's 2018, and, and, and by the time it comes for our flight, they would have figured out this computer glitch. I mean, we could put a man on the moon, but we can't figure out a computer glitch. Well, sure enough, it's time for us to take off for our flight. It's the day before, and, and we don't know. Uh, flights are still canceling. And so we're set to be at the airport at 5 in the morning. And so I woke up at 3 in the morning, and I checked, and sure enough, our flight got canceled because of this computer glitch that happened. And American Airlines didn't send us a notification to let us know. If we didn't check, we would have showed up at the airport with no flight. So right then, at 3 in the morning, we're calling around trying to get new flights so that we could get to our vacation destination in Cancun. We end up missing an entire day of our vacation because of this computer glitch, and then American Airlines just gave us some airline miles. How many of you know airline miles are about... Um, are worth about as much as nothing, right? Especially when they give you 15,000. They give us 15,000 miles. I was like, oh man, this is awesome. We can travel 15,000 miles. You can't, no, it, it's, it's like 100,000 miles to travel. Anyway, bad travel experiences. And, and then there's times where I've missed my connecting flight. And this doesn't happen often, but there have been times where I've missed my connecting flight in an airport. And it's not because I was lazy. It's not because I did something wrong, but the times just didn't line up. And so I'm running through the airport to get to my gate but the gate's already closed. And I'm like, I can see the airplane right out there. Can you let me on? And they said, sorry, the gate's closed. And so I've missed some connecting flights. And then, and then this is the worst. We've been sitting in traffic for hours. And then we finally get to the point where the traffic was caused. And we see what caused the traffic. It was an accident, but not an accident on our side of the interstate. It was an accident on the other side of the interstate. And people on our side were stopping and looking at it. How many of you have been there? See, we've had some bad travel experiences. We, we've had it, you've had it, we've all experienced this. And, and here's what's fascinating to me. Uh, Mary and Joseph, this holy family, had some bad travel experiences on the first Christmas 2,000 years ago. See, Mary was pregnant when she made the journey to give birth to Jesus. And the pregnancy um, was announced in a really interesting way. This is what we covered last week. I'll just give you a quick recap. See, what happened was an angel showed up to Mary, Gabriel, showed up to Mary and said, congratulations, you're going to give birth to the Son of God. And Mary said, well, that's cool, that's awesome, but I'm Madonna, like a virgin, and I have not been touched for the very first time, so how is this going to happen? And the angel's like, don't... Don't worry about it. You're just going to have a child in you, and it's going to be a miraculous birth, and the child to be born to you is going to be the Son of God. And Mary says, okay, cool. I'm down for whatever. 
And then she goes and tells Joseph, and she says, Joseph, guess what? An angel showed up to me. I'm a virgin. I'm going to give birth. And Joseph said, a virgin birth? She said, yeah, a virgin birth. And Joseph said, that's not a thing. I'm out. And Joseph is about to leave her, but that same angel shows up to him and says, don't leave her. It's true. She's going to give birth to the Son of God. So now Joseph believes it, and here it is, Mary and Joseph. They're down for whatever. They're in it to win it, and then they go and share it with their family and friends. Hey, y'all, guess what? Mary's pregnant. Hold up, but you're not married. I know. It's a virgin birth. And I imagine some of Joseph's family and friends brought him over and said, little brother, I don't know what you've been smoking, but um, virgin birth is not a thing. And uh, we need to go on Maury and get a paternity test to find out who the baby daddy is. Because, I mean, what, what would you think if somebody came to you and said, I had a dream and an angel spoke to me and I'm pregnant and I've never even like, okay, we need to check you in somewhere. But this is what happens. And then there's division in the family, most likely because of this. I mean, you've experienced some of this dysfunction in your own family, right? There, there are some people who don't talk to other people and relationships have changed because of that thing that happened on Christmas 2012. And we all know what happened on Christmas 2012 because that's when Frank said this to, to, to Aunt Bethel. And, then, and, and now there's this big schism in our family. And so we don't even talk about Christmas of 2012, right? See, we experience this in our own life. There's this dysfunction. There are these shifts in our, in our family, some rifts that are created. And most likely, this is what happens with Mary and Joseph and their family. Because they're not buying the whole virgin birth thing. But now comes time to make the journey. So... Mary and Joseph are expecting this child, uh, and then the census takes place. They have to go on this journey. This is where Luke picks up in Luke chapter 2, and this is where we're going to start. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. Now, before they make this journey, I just want to reiterate, Mary is pregnant, okay? Mary is most likely eight or nine months pregnant. Mary is so pregnant, she's craving 7-Eleven hot dogs caked in relish, mayonnaise, and chocolate ice cream. This is how pregnant she is. She's so pregnant, she's sleeping with 14 pillows in the bed, right? She's so pregnant, strangers are coming up to her, touching her stomach without her giving them permission. She's so pregnant, she's starting to blame Joseph, like, you did this to me! And Joseph is like, I wasn't there for that. <laughs> no, it wasn't me. <laughs> so Mary, eight, nine months pregnant... And then the census is decreed. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. At that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And real quick, I just want to point a couple things out. The census is Augustus, the emperor, saying, I want to see how many people are in my empire. So we need to count them, and I need them to return their, to their original hometown. And so that's the census, and this is why Mary and Joseph have to travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem. But I also want to point out the detail with which Luke writes. See, sometimes when we think about the scriptures and the story of Jesus, we, we think like it's going to read like a tall tale or some fairy tale, right? Like, like once upon a time, there was this miraculous birth of Jesus, and he had a pet blue ox named Babe, and he was so wild, he lassoed a tornado. Like, sometimes we think... Oh, this is the story of the scriptures. It just reads like this fairy tale. But what we find is that over and over again, the scriptures are written like this. In this time, at this place, this happened. And in this time, at this place, 
this happen? And what we need to remember is that the scriptures were written to real people in real places at real times about real events, right? And so Luke was not writing to Americans in 2020, but Luke was writing to real people in eastern Israel under the Roman Empire telling them about events that they had already known. And so when he says, in this place at this time, this is what happened, someone reading this would say, oh, I remember that. Like, I was in this place at that time. I remember the second place. So Luke is writing about real events. And, and here's the thing. When we talk about believing in Jesus, I just want to clear it up for you. Sometimes people say, I have a hard time believing the message of the scriptures. Listen, we're not asking you to believe if Jesus was a real person. We know he was. I mean, history confirms that. It's a fact. Jesus really lived. We're not asking, do you believe that he died from the cross? It's a historical fact. We're not even asking, did you, do you believe that he resurrected from the dead? Because all the evidence points to that. Here's what we ask when, when we're saying, do you believe in Jesus? Not did he exist, not do you assent that he was real, but do you believe that when Jesus died on the cross, his death had a purpose? His death was for you. Do you believe that Jesus was who he said he was? See, Jesus said he was God. And the question is, do you believe it? When you look at the evidence of the virgin birth, when you look at the miracles, when you look at the lives that were changed by Jesus, when you look at the evidence that points to the resurrection, see, Jesus said he was God and he backed it up. Because if you say you're God and you don't back it up, we're checking you in somewhere. But Jesus backed it up with the evidence, with the proof. So what we're asking when we say, do you believe in Jesus, is do you believe that Jesus died for you on the cross? That his death mattered? That this, this man who lived 2,000 years ago has an impact on your life here and now? And then, do you believe that he rose again from the dead and can also rise you up, raise you up to new life? See, this whole thing about Jesus changes everything. And, and, and Luke gives us these details to let us know this is historical stuff that really happened. And, and here's what I love, too. He said um, this was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And so later on, the historian Josephus writes about another census that took place, a second census that happened in about uh, 4 or 6 AD. But this was the first census, Luke says. So this happened most likely around the time Jesus is born again. It's confirmed here in what Luke writes. So this census is called, and here's what happens. Luke chapter 2, verse 3. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. So Mary and Joseph have to travel. They travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem. The journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem is a two-hour drive. But they didn't have Teslas back then. So most likely, Mary and Joseph walk this journey. And you've seen pictures on Hallmark cards and, and maybe you have it engraved in your mind that, that, that Joseph walked but Mary rode a donkey. But nowhere in the scriptures does it say that. And so most likely both Mary, pregnant Mary, and Joseph walk this journey. It's a 33-hour walk. And we know most likely they walked because of their status. 
See, Mary and Joseph were poor. They lived in poverty. We know that because after Mary gave birth to Jesus, Mary and Joseph show up to the temple in Jerusalem and they offer a sacrifice for the newborn child. Now, they don't offer the standard sacrifice, which was a lamb and a dove, but they offer the sacrifice that was permitted for the poor, which is two doves. So because Mary and Joseph were poor, they most likely didn't have a donkey, which means most likely Mary trekked it on foot. 33 hours of walking. That's three days, 11 hours a day. But because Mary's so pregnant, stopping for the bathroom every hour and, and taking breaks, you know it probably took him about a week. Can you imagine that? She was ready at the end of that journey to give birth. They say if you're trying to bring on um, contractions, and so you start walking, good night, 33 hours, she just... Walking along. And so they travel to get to Bethlehem. And here's what I want you to see. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. I want you to pause right here. There's so much packed into these sentences. It says that, that Mary gave birth to her firstborn son wrapped him in cloths, and placed him in a manger. A manger is a feeding trough. It's a feeding trough for animals. See, the picture you and I have of a manger is often this nice, cute little box crib. It's probably soft with nice, soft straw and hay. Hey, I don't know if you ever rolled around in hay, but that stuff is itchy. They give birth to this newborn baby, and the only place they have to place him is in a feeding trough. Why are they placing Jesus in a feeding trough? Because he was born in a barn. You know, when Jesus was in elementary school acting wild, his teacher probably asked him, what's wrong with you? Were you born in a barn? He was like, uh-huh, I was actually. But he's placed in a feeding trough. He's born in a barn. Why is he born in a barn? Why is he born in a stable? I mean, this is Joseph's hometown. Most likely, Joseph has family that's here, but they won't take them in. See, the clue here is that Joseph's family most likely has ostracized, outcast, and shunned Mary and Joseph because they did the math. They said, hold on, now y'all got married four months ago, but... You're having a baby now. It doesn't work that way. And we don't want anything to do with that. And here's pregnant Mary after walking for 33 hours, coming to Bethlehem, Joseph's hometown. No one will take them in. She's pregnant. No one takes them in. So they find a stable. They give birth in a barn. I remember um, earlier this summer, uh, my brother-in-law, Dave, and I, we went to Crossroads Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. And, um, and the plan that we had was we, we rented a, a, a SUV to drive up there. We're going to drive half the way, stop that night, get a hotel, and then drive the rest of the way and, and make it to Cincinnati. And um, as we were driving, we had to go through West Virginia and Kentucky, uh, both, both states that you do not want to be driving um, in at night because those states... Uh, every horror movie, 
like Texas Chainsaw Massacre takes place in states like that, or in Texas, because it's Texas. Anyway, so we're driving through West Virginia. Uh, I say we, Dave was driving through West Virginia. I was sleeping, and um, it's late at night. It's like midnight, one o'clock, and we're like, okay, let's go ahead and get us a hotel room. And we figured it's not going to be a big deal for us to get a hotel room because we're in the middle of West Virginia. We're in Beckley, West Virginia in the middle of the night. Who travels to Beckley, West Virginia in need of a hotel room? I'll tell you who travels to Beckley, West Virginia on the weekend of July 20th, 2019 in need of a hotel room. 30,000 Boy Scouts and their families travel to Beckley, West Virginia for the annual jamboree. Of all places, of all times, we are in the place where there's no hotel room for 50 miles because these Boy Scouts and their families have booked the hotel room so they can play camping games for the weekend. So here we are, stranded, no place to stay. I suggested to Dave, I said, we could just sleep in the car, because I was already sleeping in the car. He said, nope, and we, we eventually found a spot. But, but in that moment, in that moment, I felt just a small glimpse, a small glimpse of how Mary and Joseph must have felt as they're in Bethlehem searching for some place to stay, and they can't find any place. I could sense the desperation. I could sense the anxiety. I could sense the exasperation. They're tired. They're ready to rest. They have no place to stay. They got no money. They got no family. They have no place to stay. They have nothing. Like, how could things get any worse? And then Mary starts to feel the contractions. And this wasn't Braxton Hicks. She's in a barn feeling the contractions, and she knows what's about to happen. It's her and Joseph alone with the cows. And here's, here's what Luke records about the birth. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. That's the birth right there in a sentence. And it's so easy for us to gloss over it. It's so easy for us to read right past it and she gave birth to it. But listen, how many of you moms know it took longer than a sentence? Because you were there. You experienced the pain and the agony and she didn't have an epidural. The contractions, the cramps, the pain, she was there for the whole process. And dads, how many of you know it wasn't just a sentence because you were there too holding a leg? I thought that was funnier than you laughed. But you were there. And this, look, there's this sentence. She gave birth to her firstborn son. Here's what I want you to see. Before Luke chapter 2, verse 7, Mary and Joseph have nothing. They're poor. They've been shunned and outcast by their family. They have no place to stay. They're giving birth to a barn. They have hit rock bottom. But in Luke chapter 2, verse 7, she gave birth to her firstborn son. In Luke chapter 2, verse 7, they have nothing, but they have Jesus. In Luke chapter 2, verse 7, they have nothing, and yet they have everything they need right there in their arms. I wonder this Christmas if everything was stripped away, all of it, the lights, 
the songs, the time with family, the presents, the trees, the ugly sweaters, the parties, if all of it was stripped away and all you had was Jesus, would you be okay with that? Would Jesus be enough for you? Or are you the person who says, we can't afford Christmas? Christmas is not found in a bunch of plastic stuff, but it's found right there in the manger in the birth of the Savior. I wonder if everything was stripped away for you. If everything was stripped away and you just had Jesus, would you be okay with that? See, for Mary and Joseph, they go on this journey to give birth to Jesus and they have nothing. They've lost it all. They've hit rock bottom. But in the end, they found Jesus. And oftentimes, this is what happens in our lives. Oftentimes, God will destroy some stuff in our life, blow up some things in our life, wreck and ruin some things in our life so that he can bring us to the point where we have nothing and we turn to him. I say, I need you. Sometimes I pray for that for people, that their life would be destroyed so that they could meet Jesus. And I hear this story all the time. People come to our church and they say, I've tried everything. I've done this and this and this and this. So I figured I'll try God. This is my last stop. Hey, this Christmas Eve may be some of your friends and family's last stop. It's their last hope. God has been working on their life. They've been turning to alcohol. They've been turning to drugs. They've been turning to porn. They've been turning to money. They've been turning to their career. They've been turning to family. They've been turning to all sorts of things to find fulfillment, but none of it satisfies. It leaves them empty. Jesus is their only hope. And the question is, will you bring them? Will you bring them to meet the Savior that was born 2,000 years ago. See, Mary and Joseph, they went through a lot. But I imagine as Mary held Jesus in her arms, all the pain and the agony and the heartbreak that she felt disappeared just like that. And I imagine Mary would have said, it's all worth it. I would gladly go through it all again so that I could have Jesus. I don't my my, my wife felt the same way when she gave birth to both of our kids uh, through all the, the, the pain that she felt, um, all the agony that she felt when, when she held our daughter, when she held our son in her arms. It was like all of it just dissipated, and this was so worth it. I know when I held our kids in my arms, it was all the putting up with her cravings and pillows and it was all worth it because now my kids were here. Mary and Joseph had everything they needed, not just their son, but their savior. He was born in a manger in Bethlehem. Can I suggest to you this morning that everything you've been through has happened for a reason. And what I mean by that is not that God caused everything to happen in your life because God does not cause everything to happen in our life, but God can use everything that happens in our life. He can redeem it and turn it for the good. 
Can I suggest to you this morning, just, I just want to be bold this morning and let you know that everything that's happened in your life, I wonder if God has been using it to bring you to this point here and now. And maybe he's been taking you to rock bottom. Maybe he's been wanting to break your heart. Maybe he's been wanting to wreck everything in your life so that you could come to this place in the barn and say, I have nothing, but I found Jesus. Can I, can I just talk to you right now? If that's you, and even if you're not at rock bottom, if you've never said yes to Jesus, or you've said, Jesus, I believe that you died for me on the cross, you rose again from the dead, and because of that belief, I want to follow you, I want to live for you, I want to give my life to you and be baptized in you. If you've never made that decision, I want to invite you today to decide to say yes to the Savior. He was born for a reason. You're that reason. In your chair, there's a connect card. There's a box on that connect card that says, I want to know more about baptism. You see the hot tub over here. We're actually doing baptisms on Christmas Eve. My daughter is getting baptized at 7 o'clock this Christmas Eve. But I believe there's more people who need to get baptized. I believe we set up this hot tub for more than just her. And so if you've never made the decision to say yes to Jesus, you mark that box. I can't be here for Christmas Eve. You cancel all your plans because this matters most. And, And maybe for some of you, you have said yes to Jesus. But you feel stuck. You feel stagnant. You feel like your life isn't moving forward. Can I just... Can I suggest to you that maybe the reason is because you've crowded out Jesus in your life? Just like Christmas often crowds out Jesus, we can crowd him out in our life. And so, yes, Jesus is part of your life, but if you want to see some traction, if you want to move forward, if you want to gain some success, then today is the day where you say, Jesus, you're going to be front and center in my life. Not just a part of my life, not something I fit in if I can make it, but Jesus, you are the center When you make Jesus the center, when you make him first and foremost, everything changes. And that's why we celebrate communion. When I'm done, we're going to have members from our teams pass out trays, and in those trays are stacks of cups. The bottom cup has some bread. The top cup has some juice. The bread reminds us of Jesus' body that was broken for us. The juice reminds us of his blood that was shed for us. And you can feel free to take communion any time that you want, but let it be a reminder that Jesus wants to be front and center in your life. He didn't go through all he went through and got you through all you got through so that he could be a catchphrase in your life. So if you're a Christian, today's the day to come back to him. I say, I'm following you. I'm abandoning everything I need to abandon and make you first and foremost. So Mary and Joseph journeyed so that they can meet Jesus. You've journeyed this morning to meet Jesus. We're going to journey on Christmas Eve to meet Jesus, and I'm going to preach on the arrival. But Mary and Joseph weren't the only ones who journeyed. There were some other people who took a journey. I want to tell you about their journey. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. It said, That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. And suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them. Don't be afraid, he said. 
I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, He has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you'll recognize Him by this sign. You'll find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. And so they heard the announcement, verse 15, when the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's journey to see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And they hurried, they hurried, they hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. That night, the shepherds were told about the birth of the Savior, and they journeyed to meet Him. But what I love about it is they didn't just journey, they hurried. They hurried. They said, come on, we got to go. They walked with purpose. They came excited. They came enthusiastic. They came ready to meet the baby. Here's what I love about it, too. Not only did they hurry to see Jesus, you've hurried to see Jesus this morning. Some of y'all didn't hurry. You dragged yourself out of bed and said, I guess I'll go. Come on, let's hurry on Christmas Eve. Not only did they hurry to see Jesus, but then when they left, we're about to leave soon. When they left, they told everybody they saw. Let me tell you about the baby that I met. Let me tell you about the baby that I've seen. Let me tell you about the Savior who saved me. Hey, you found some hope. You've seen the baby. You've met Jesus. The question I want to ask you now is who are you going to tell? Who are you going to bring to come sit with you this Christmas Eve? And listen, Christmas Eve is one of the best times for people who don't go to church to come to church. And you can just tell them, hey, everybody goes to church on Christmas Eve. Come sit with me. It's easy for you to bring somebody. It's easy for you to tell somebody. You grab the, the invite cards we gave you. You take a picture of it and then text it to your friends. And you tell them, I don't need a gift from you. My gift from you is that you would come and see this Sunday or this Tuesday, that you would come and sit with me. It's that easy to invite somebody. And who knows, who knows who you love, how their life will be changed because of one invite to come and see the Savior this Tuesday. So who are you bringing? I want you to think of their name right now. I want you to get it in your mind. Who needs to be here? Who needs to find hope like you found? Who needs to hear that there's a God who loves them for who they are and not as they should be because none of us are as we should be? Who in your life, here and now, I don't care if they believe in God or not, I don't care if they're open to God or not, who needs to be here? We're going to pray in faith together that God would open their hearts, do something miraculous in their life. Hey, if a virgin can give birth to a child, God can get your stubborn friend here. I want you to think of their name right now. God, we're thinking of people who need to come meet the Savior this Sunday, this Tuesday. Today is Sunday. 
some people who need to be here. And God, I pray that you would begin to do whatever you need to do in their life to get them here. Some of them you've been working on for the past several weeks, wrecking things in their life. Just destroying stuff. And they're hopeless. They're down and out. They need somebody. And we have an invitation to the Savior. There's some people that we know who are open to you. And God, I pray you give us the boldness and the courage to say something, to get them here this Tuesday. That they would journey to see you. And God, I pray for anyone here who hasn't yet said yes to you, that they would make that decision today. Jesus, I thank you for being born to save us so that we could know you and have relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for listening. We pray God inspires, challenges, and motivates you to become greater through what you've just heard. Again, be sure to check us out at wearetherising.com. Remember, your best days are still ahead.